Hey guys, welcome back to the Love Myself Podcast. I'm Brooke, and this is a health and fitness podcast where we come to you every Monday to talk about a new health and fitness topic. So this week, we're actually going to be talking about workout recovery. But before we get into the topic, I want to tell you guys about my weekly update. So last week was okay. As you guys know, I had hurt my knee a little bit when I went skiing last Saturday. So I had taken um, my long run off. I didn't do my nine miles last week. I just kind of skipped it and just had to keep on moving because I just thought that that would be better than, you know, possibly getting, you know, hurting myself more. So Sunday I had just cross-trained. Monday I cross-trained. Um, but it was a little bit lighter of a day. And then Tuesday, I knew I had to try to get back out there and run. So I had actually worked from home on Tuesday. So I decided to go out on my lunch and run. And I didn't really know how it would go. I didn't know how my knee would feel. But I ended up doing three miles um, at a 9.54 mile pace, which is really good um, for me. And then after work, I ran another three miles and that was at a 9.54 pace, so both about the same. So I did run six miles that day, but I had broken it up again because I had hurt my knee, and I just wanted to make sure that everything was okay before I just went out there um, and ran six miles. So that was fine. Wednesday, I did a five-mile run at a 9.39 pace, and then Thursday, I normally would have run another four miles. That's what I was supposed to do, but I had decided that I was going to do my long run on Friday. So I wanted to take Thursday off. I didn't want to run, so I ended up doing just a yoga session. I looked up on YouTube just yoga for runners, and that's what I did. I just did a half-hour session. And so Friday, I did my 14 miles. If you guys were following along on our Instagram, I did a whole what I eat in a day throughout – the morning and afternoon before my run because I just wanted to get a lot of carbs in and I tried to eat mostly natural whole foods. I ended up forgetting part of my lunch, which was just turkey breast, just to get some protein in. So I ended up having um, like a core protein protein shake. So that was actually the only thing that wasn't like a natural from the earth kind of food, which is what I've been trying to do more of. Um, But anyway, not that a protein shake is bad. It it, it was just like one of the pre-made ones. I'd rather have made it myself, but I was at work, so whatever. Um, But yeah, that was it. So during my run, I wanted to fuel with more real foods. Like I said, the goos, as do most people, if you've ever heard of them or done them, they're fast-acting carbohydrates. And really, they were originally meant for fast runners who can finish a marathon in two and a half hours or whatever, and, and they don't have to worry so much about their GI system. But for slower runners, you don't really want to have too many goos and you don't want to be running for too long having them in your body because you're just going to get a lot of stomach issues. At least most people experience that. And I know when I did, I think it was the 11-mile run and I had two goos. By the 11th mile, I was really feeling like I had to go to the bathroom. So TMI, but it's just the reality of those goos. So what I decided to do for my 14-mile run was I got dates and applesauce. And those were going to be my two slow-acting carbs that I was going to have at the beginning of my run. So at 
About 30 minutes in is when I started chewing on my dates. And so they say when you're running, you should have between 25 grams to 60 grams of carbs per hour. So the first thing that I had, like I said, that 30 minute mark, I had one serving of dates, which it was 40 grams as a serving. So it was about five dates. And I think that was like 26 grams of carbs. So I slowly ate those kind of on my third mile. I So yeah, probably over 10 minutes, I just slowly ate them and I was drinking water as well. I also on my run, I had um, a small bottle of water and a small bottle of Gatorade, which I actually had bought Gatorade zero, but now I'm thinking I should just be buying regular Gatorade to, cause that will just help me add in those calories and carbs. So my Gatorade wasn't really, it was just electrolytes and salt, which is also really good to have on long runs. So that was fine. So yeah, I had those dates and then 20 minutes later, a little under the hour mark, I ended up having a serving of applesauce. I just got one of those applesauce packets, and that was really easy to do on the run. And so that fueled me. That felt really good. I turned around at seven miles, and actually, no one would even believe me, but I'll, I'll have to post this on the Instagram right after I turned the seven miles. And when I'm looking at my Strava, you know, I could see. Um, the route and you can see exactly where I crossed the street and I crossed the street right after I turned around at the seven mile mark and I saw this really cool mural. I was in Maniunk, which is sort of like uh, it's part of Philadelphia technically, but it's kind of like like how Brooklyn is to Manhattan. It's just like another little town. So there was this really cute cool really cool mural and there's like a Philadelphia marathon banner and there's like a runner. Um, right outside the art museum and it's just this really cool Philly mural but it has a lot of like active stuff on there there's a biker there's I, th I don't think that's a Rocky but it's someone just with their hands in the air um, so yeah it was just like a really cool mural so I took a picture and I'll post it but it kind of fueled me for the rest of my run until it kind of snowed <laughs> in a couple different parts of my run, but there was one mile that was just awful. It was my ninth mile and it started snowing, which it was not supposed to snow. It was not even supposed to rain. It was supposed to rain Friday morning and it like continued all throughout the day right up until I was going to run and it did rain. It was like drizzling a couple times during the run. It snowed a couple times during the run, but then this ninth mile, the wind was, a, you know, I'm running at the wind and it was just snow in my face, which if you've ever run with like rain or snow hitting your face, like you literally can't open your eyes. Like you run with your head down because that's all you can do. I didn't have a hat. Like it was just awful. And this was also the only part of the whole trail that I had to go uphill was just, oh my gosh, it was just, it was rough. But at that point, like I'm five miles away from my car and work. <laughs> like I'm in the woods, <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, I'm on a trail, but there was just nothing I could do other than just get back. So I ended up, let me tell you my time. Hold up. So I did 14 miles. It took me just shy of two and a half hours. It was a 1040 pace, which is pretty slow for me. Like I just told you guys, I'm pretty much been under 10 for most of my runs, but I definitely went out pretty conservative. Um, and it ended up, yeah, most of my first 11 miles were all either in the 10s or 11s. And then miles 12, 
13 and 14. I did 950, 943, 941. So as usual, I don't push myself as much as I could. But with the long runs, you're supposed to go out slow and just make sure that you get there. But I have to do another 14 miles this weekend. So I don't know. I still don't know how to approach it. I still feel like I need to go out slow because I, I really like easing myself into a run. The times that I go out and try to do even just do my normal pace, like to do a 9.30 my first mile, it just – it ruins me. I, I just can't end up finishing. My heart rate gets too high and I just – it's not good for me. But I really, really, really need to work on speed work this week and every week until the rest of forever because I really, really struggle with speed work. Um, so anyway, the 14 miles, I did it. It was okay. Now, it felt fine. I felt like my energy stayed consistent the whole time, which – I can't believe that I ran the half marathon like without eating because if you think about it, when you start running, you have the energy that like if you don't eat, like you just have the energy, you have the calories that you have and you're just going down from there. Like you're just depleting your energy storage. And when you eat, I mean, it sounds so obvious, but when you eat, like instead of going down, it's like you come back up and then like you like you're just kind of it helps you stay at a constant. And so that really, really helped during my run. I didn't feel fatigued really too much. At, I mean, except for maybe the last mile, but that was also just like, I want to get back, you know, like you feel so close. But I think it really helped me not feel like sometimes when I would run, I literally just felt so tired, so fatigued. And so this I really felt like my energy was fine the whole way. Um, but I ended up having to drive like 45 minutes back to my boyfriend's and when I got to my boyfriend's I went right in the shower and so what ended up happening was I felt really really nauseous after my run and I didn't on my drive back I felt fine you know I was drinking some more water finishing off my Gatorade and it was okay but what I've learned in researching today's topic um, and I actually looked this up when I started feeling nauseous is that you should be eating within like 20 to 30 minutes of finishing a long run to make sure that your blood sugars, you know, are all good. And I mean, I burned my total calories. It said for my 14 miles was 1,566 calories, which that whole day, I mean, in that morning I had 1200 calories is what I had before I left. And then obviously I ate on the run, but like that was taking all of my day's calories and just I was done at the end. So I really should have been eating something right after, but I didn't. Um, lesson learned. I So when I got to my boyfriend's, that took me a long time to get here, but I tried eating a piece of pizza. I literally had a bite and was like, I can't eat this. I gave it to my boyfriend. And then I was like, let me try to have you know a carb. I, may, I cut myself up an apple and gave myself some almond butter, but... I couldn't even eat that. I really struggled to eat the apple and peanut butter. My boyfriend's mom tried to give me pretzel chips and whatever, and I just couldn't do it. I knew that I was going to get sick, so I got sick. <laughs> and, I mean, there really was nothing. I mean, not to, like, maybe skip 15 seconds ahead if you're weird about this stuff, but I didn't even really have much food to throw up. Like, it was basically the one piece of apple that I had, and that, and it mostly it was just me – what, like dry heaving, I guess, because um, there was legit nothing left, which was shocking because, you know, I ate all day, but I don't really know how that works, you know, with burning your food, but that's all there was with some apple. So after I got sick, I felt a lot better and I was able to eat. So I ended up finishing off the apple with almond butter and then I had some turkey bacon and a couple more pretzel chips. And at this point, it was like eight o'clock at night. So that was just what I had, just enough for 
you know, me to get something in my body. And yeah, so that really sucked. So from now on, I have to have something like right out. I have to be more prepared because, you know, like I said, I was I ran at work and then I didn't have anything else with me. So I need to eat. But yeah, I'm trying to think. Other than that, my weekend was pretty good. So Saturday, um, I kind of had like an active rest day, I guess. I like walked a little bit. I did I did like a BS circuit while my boyfriend and I were watching Breaking Bad, which I just finished, by the way. I know I'm like totally late on the Breaking Bad, but I just finished and it was awesome. And then we watched El Camino, which was also really good. But anyway, so I did a little circuit while we were watching TV. I did just like squats and then like some ab stuff, hip thrusts. Like I just did random stuff while we were just in the living room. But yeah, then Saturday I ended up hanging out with my sister and our friends and I saw my sister's band play again. I think I might have told you guys that last week and that was a lot of fun. And then I ended up sleeping home. I spent Sunday morning with my parents. My mom made us a nice breakfast spread. My parents are always the best when I'm home for weekend breakfast. Um, so my mom made me Kodiak cakes and bacon and strawberries and it was a delicious meal. So thank you, mom. And yeah, that was really it yesterday. I So because I had ran the 14 miles early, I kind of skipped my four mile day that I was supposed to do. So I planned on doing that yesterday, but my legs were just really tired. So I ran two miles and I could have ran the two miles later in the day. But honestly, I was just like, whatever. <laughs> so Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just got to listen to your body and my body was sore. So I spent the rest of the day doing some more recovery stuff, which I guess now it's time to get into. So last week we talked about VO2 max, what it is and how to increase it. And so this week I wanted to follow up on that. And so today I'm going to be talking about workout recovery. Now, how do those two things really relate? Well, your VO2 max actually plays a really important role in workout recovery. Research shows that people with a greater VO2 max actually actually recover more quickly in interval training. And also post-workout, having a high VO2 max means that you more rapidly resynthesize your CRP stores. What does that mean? Your CRP stores, uh, it stands for creatine phosphate and your muscles use this for energy pretty much there's a lot of sciencey things about crp and i'm not the best at explaining it so just know that it's important for recovery and energy and muscle cells blah 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 okay so workout recovery is obviously important because the time that you're not working out is actually when your body is working to repair and strengthen itself Rest is physically necessary, so the muscles can repair, rebuild, and strengthen, but it also allows the body to replenish energy storage and repair any damaged tissues. And resting is actually when your body makes the changes. And so like when you're lifting, you're working those muscles, but when it grows is actually in the recovery process. So super important. And obviously rest is good mentally because we don't want to suffer from things like burnout or overtraining. So there's two different types of recovery. There's short-term and long-term. Short-term recovery is also known as active recovery, and that happens like right from the time you stop doing intense working out um, to the hours after. So it starts when you're doing a cool down and then, like I said, in the hours following. So for long-term recovery, it's important to make sure that you have rest days or recovery days built into your training schedule. 
So a recovery day might be something just like walking or cross-training, yoga, something less intense than usual or maybe for not as long or not as far if you're running. So short-term recovery starts right after intense exercise. So like I said, that includes the cool down phase. So if you're not doing any sort of cool down, then you really need to be doing that. So I, after a run or a lifting session or a circuit, I usually just try to do five to 10 minutes on the treadmill, just walking. Um, And as you guys know, I've said before how important stretching is. So I recommend taking a few minutes to stretch at the end of your workout. You're probably still in fat burning mode. So just reap those benefits. You'll burn some more calories and it helps prevent muscle soreness later. Also, at the end of your workout is when your muscles are just the most loose, so you can really stretch those muscles and it will help your flexibility. Just a quick tip when you're stretching, I I mean, they do this in yoga and kind of how I learned is that when you're stretching, you want to take a deep breath and when you breathe out, you want to just really lean into those stretches and it'll just help push you a little bit further and like I said, help your flexibility. So now... A big part of recovery is your nutrition. So the nutrition side of short-term recovery is obviously always make sure that you're rehydrating with water and electrolytes. So obviously you should be hydrating throughout the day and throughout your workout, but it's obviously just really important to replenish after your workout. How much you'll need is going to depend on how long and how hard you worked out. If you were outside, maybe what the weather is like. If you're running in the dead heat of summer, you're losing a lot more water than another time of year. So just keep that in mind. With food, um, if you're running like I learned this week, you want to have a small meal or snack within 30 minutes of finishing your run. And then with lifting, they say to try to get protein in within the hour. Um So when I lift, I'll make a protein shake with at least 25 grams of protein, and then you can add any yogurt, milk, fruit, nut butter, et cetera. After a run, you want a four to one carb to protein ratio. So some examples of that would be chocolate milk. They say chocolate milk is like the best thing to have post-run and because that has that four to one carb to protein ratio. Some other things you can have is you know, a fruit smoothie, a rice cake with nut butter, peanut butter and jelly are some examples. And then for after your workout, you also want to have a well-balanced meal like one to two hours after your workout. So you want to make sure you have all the macros in there. You want to have carbohydrates, fat and protein. So some examples would be an egg sandwich on toast or a bagel. You can also add some spinach or tomato to get those veggies in there. Pancakes with yogurt and fruit a salad with protein, pasta with chicken or shrimp, a sandwich. Um, Like I said, just try to add carbs, protein, and fat to that meal because having a well-balanced meal will help replenish those energy stores and fluids that were lost during exercise. And it also optimizes protein synthesis, which is the process of increasing the protein content of muscle cells, preventing muscle breakdown, and increasing muscle size. So, I stand by the recommendations I just made, but I want to get a little bit more science-y on the food stuff. So I did some research and the science backing to why eating after a workout is important is because post-exercise carbohydrates are critical to the synthesis of muscle glycogen. So Carbohydrates are known as CHO, which just stands for um, carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, which is what makes up a carbohydrate, hence the name. If you've ever taken chemistry, maybe you know like how they make up names, but 
anyway, um, so I, like I said, I did some research and I got most of this information from a study done by Dr. Lance Dalek, who's an associate professor at Western State Colorado University. If you want to look up the article, it's just called The Science of Post-Exercise Recovery. That's also where I got the information on CRP that I mentioned earlier, the creatine phosphate. And so we can get really specific on the dosage dosage that you should have of CHO or carbohydrates post-workout. So if you want to do this, in order to optimize muscle glycogen repletion post-exercise, you want the formula is 1.2 grams per kilograms per hour of carbohydrates to be consumed at 15 to 30-minute intervals immediately after finishing your workout. You can also optimize this by adding protein and caffeine. So I know this sounds a little bit confusing, but I want to give you an example that they outlined in the article. I think it's really helpful. So they say, here's an example. Angela is 143 pounds or 65 kilograms. She does moderate to vigorous workouts, and they want to know her CHO goal for the first two hours post-exercise. So you put that information into the formula. So her weight in kilograms, which is 65 times 1.2 times two hours, that equals 160 grams of carbohydrates. So within the two hours that Angela, after she finished her workout, she wants to have 160 grams of carbohydrates. And they say that this should be consumed in intervals following your workout. So they say right after her workout, this is an example, you can have eight ounces of a sports drink like Gatorade and a medium banana. That's about 42 grams of carbs. 30 minutes after the exercise, they say another eight ounces of the sports drink and a bagel, an hour post-exercise, one cup of yogurt, and then an hour and a half post-exercise, a cup of chocolate milk. So the amount of carbs in each of those things adds up to 160 grams of carbs, and that's what, based on the formula, is recommended for Angela to properly recover. So like I said, if you want to look up this article, it's called The Science of Post-Exercise Recovery, and they have a table on the last page that just pretty much explains what I just said. It just breaks down the carbs of those different types of foods. So like I said earlier, I give you a lot of different examples of good foods to have post-workout. So yeah, hopefully that information is helpful to you if you want to figure it out based on your weight. Um, Feel free. Like I said, it's 1.2 grams times kilograms times how many hours. So um, yeah, I just wanted to give you that information so you guys can mold this advice to you individually because as most things with health and fitness, it's different for everybody. Um, yeah, so nutrition is obviously key uh, for recovering, especially if you're doing a really intense workout. It's really important to make sure that you're getting that nutrients back in your body to properly recover. Another key element in both short and long-term recovery is sleep. I am a huge proponent in prioritizing your sleep. If you know me, you know that I am serious about getting to bed on time. Um, If you're consistently getting inadequate sleep, it can really affect your hormone levels, your stress, your mood, and actually prevents muscle recovery. So you really should be getting seven to nine hours of sleep a night, especially if you're training really intense. This weekend, I slept so much. I couldn't believe I woke up. This might not seem like a big deal to people, but I normally wake up realistically like 8 a.m. on weekends, but like like maybe 8.30, like if I, if I, I don't know, I really don't sleep late. And Sunday I slept till 10 a.m. Granted, I got home 
at like 12 30 went to bed at one but that's still nine hours of sleep i couldn't i woke up at 10 a.m i could not believe the time i just couldn't believe how late it was because i also don't stay up that late normally like i go to bed pretty early most of the time so i was just shocked i got up immediately made my bed immediately changed my clothes like within three minutes i did all that my mom's like knocking on the door and i was like i'm changing because like i got up and just had to change and it's also just funny that she waited till 10 a.m to wake me up because yeah she was probably concerned anyway get your sleep i so like i said i did just get the apple watch the app that i've been using is called Sleepwatch. i think i thought it was called i sleep but it's called Sleepwatch. um so yeah even last night i got eight hours and ten sleep the past three days it says i'm 108 percent over my target because like i said i've been sleeping a lot but yeah i really i like to track my sleep for some people if you don't get good sleep i feel like you shouldn't track your sleep because then you're just gonna think so much about it you know like when you realize that you only got six hours of sleep you probably think you feel more fatigued than you do which is actually why i like this app every morning it asks me um how rested i feel and then like four or five hours after you wake up it asks how fatigued you feel because sometimes you might feel really groggy when you first wake up but you might actually have gotten good sleep and so you'll notice throughout the day if you're actually fatigued or not but yeah definitely prioritize your sleep some people maybe you have actual trouble sleeping and that's something you should maybe talk to your doctor about maybe there's you know some people i know take melatonin or cbd um maybe even just you know, throwing some lavender spray on your pillow might help you fall asleep at night, turning off your phone. I mean, you know, we could do a whole episode on like how to make sure, you know, to really wind down at night and get better sleep, but just prioritize it. You don't need to be watching TV till late at night. Like try to maybe fix your nighttime routine if you can to try to get to bed earlier. If you have kids, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. I don't experience that, but good luck. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just, Try if you can. If if you really struggle at night, if you genuinely don't have the time because you have kids or something, maybe try to fit a nap. That seems like you're probably laughing at me, right? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'll have to get a mother in to talk about this, but we're going to move on. Um, you guys know I love foam rolling. Foam rolling is so important, and it's really something that you need to get in the habit of doing. I know it's hard to start a habit, but once you start foam rolling, you will become obsessed. It just feels so good, and it sets you up for a better workout. And you know, now that I'm increasing my mileage and running distances, like I've never done these distances or mileage before, so foam rolling has become a straight-up necessity for me. I actually use a, usually end up foam rolling while watching TV, and now it's become sort of an association for me. I'll be sitting on the couch watching Netflix for my boyfriend. I'm like, oh my God, I have to foam roll. And then I get up and foam roll. Like I pretty much only foam roll while I'm watching TV because now that's when I remember. So yeah, maybe try to start doing it when you're watching TV. So to give you some reasons why foam rolling is so important, it reduces pain and muscle soreness. It also increases blood flow. And so that's actually why it's also helpful to do before a workout. It just help in, helps loosen the muscles. So I think the technical way to say it is that it just strengths, uh, stretches and lengthens your muscles. And so I actually, a lot of the times, will do this before like my Saturday runs um, in the morning. I'll get up and foam roll a little just because, you know, I just woke up and I just want to help loosen those muscles. So it's also really important for injury prevention uh, due to tight muscles. And so uh, I know I've been saying that I'll put a foam rolling session up and I haven't, but this will be the week that I have to do it. So stay tuned on our Instagram. Maybe I'll figure out how to do an IGTV or whatever. Um, but I, I swear, I, I promise I will post it soon. 
Another thing you can do for recovery is taking an ice bath or an Epsom salt bath. I haven't really done ice baths in the past, but I'm going to start them after my long runs. I told my boyfriend I have to do one after my 14-mile run this week because I just think it'll be really helpful for my muscles to recover. So if you're going to do an ice bath, you want to do it pretty soon after your workout and you want to stay in the ice bath for 10 to 15 minutes. They say that the first three minutes are the worst, um, but then you'll adapt. So I would say just put on your favorite song and get through it, and then you'll be fine, or, or so they say. So an ice bath causes the blood vessels in your body to constrict, so it pushes the blood away from the muscles due to the cold temperatures. And so once you finish the ice bath and warm up again, the blood vessels open back up and allow the blood flow back into the muscles. So it's actually bringing more oxygen back into the muscles, which will help you recover. There's also something called contrast therapy, which is going from an ice bath to a hot shower. So this also helps increase blood flow, and they say it actually speeds up the removal of lactic acid, which is what makes you sore. So they say you should start and end with the ice bath. So go in the ice bath, they say stay in there for 45 seconds and then go into a hot shower for three to four minutes, and you want to do that three times. And then, like I said, end with the ice bath. So now an Epsom salt bath sounds a lot more pleasant, I think, um, and it's helpful because of the magnesium in Epsom salt. So Epsom salt is made up of magnesium and sulfate, and magnesium is known to increase relaxation, reduce inflammation, and aim in muscle and nerve function recovery. So when you don't have enough magnesium in your body, that's when you may suffer from muscle aches and cramps. So the Epsom salt bath will really help reduce that muscle soreness. And if you're going to do an Epsom salt bath, they say to put four cups of Epsom salt to one cup of baking soda and then put that in your bath. So four cups Epsom salt to one cup of baking soda. Now, my favorite, but often, unfortunately, most expensive part of recovery is massages. I love a good massage. I was never really into them until I got one for the first time, and oh my, are they addicting. I got one, and then two months later, I signed up for Hand in Stone because I just needed it. I think massages are obviously so good for your muscles and recovery, but also for your mental health. It's so rare that you get an hour to just relax and be by yourself, and a massage allows you that time. So for so many reasons, I recommend booking a massage. It helps loosen up your muscles. It increases oxygen and blood flow into the muscles, removes any lactic acid buildup, and helps deliver nutrients to your muscles. So like I said, it is a little bit expensive. If money is an issue, I would say maybe remember on your birthday or a holiday to ask for gift cards to hand in stone or massage envy or if you have a fancy spa by you. I know I've been to Sojo Spa Club, which is in Edgewater, New Jersey twice, and I love it there. It's um, But actually the best massage I ever had was in Newport, Rhode Island. I was just talking to my friends about this place the other day because I know you guys, I've told you guys I like the basher. If you know Ashley I, I was watching her highlight video the other day and they totally shouted out the spa that I went to in Newport. It's called Spa Fajour at the Hotel Viking. And it was one of, it was the best massage I've ever had in my whole life. Um, I went with my sister and her friends and we still all talk about how it was the best one. So yeah, if you're near Newport or Edgewater, I recommend those two places. But I know there's a million spa clubs, um, but those are the only two I've ever been to and the only ones I can recommend. But yeah, I love massages. I still have a Hand in Stone membership. I like Hand in Stone. Um, those differ by each location, so don't hate me if you don't like yours. But 
You guys also know I have a massage gun. Love that. Amazing. Um, if you have a friend, maybe you guys can just massage each other's backs if you don't want to pay for a massage. And maybe you think that's weird. But I know when I was young, me and my cheer friends, we would just – or my sister and friends, you know, we would just sit in a little massage circle and you would just rub the person's back in front of you and nobody was left out because it was like a circle. And so maybe that sounds weird, but I'm just trying to help you guys out. So um, hopefully you guys can go get a massage. If not – find someone to do it. I know I used to make my little sister give me massages all the time, but she enjoyed it. So yeah, maybe find a younger sibling and torture them and make them give you foot massages. But anyway, hopefully these were some helpful tips for you guys. I want to just kind of go back over, um, just to recap. So like I said, there's two types of recovery, short-term and long-term, both equally important. I know I focused a lot on the short-term stuff, but long-term is just doing these things all the time, making sure that you have rest days and recovery days for short term. Make sure that you're cooling down, stretching. Make sure that you're giving yourself the proper nutrition, following your workout. Make sure you're replenishing those electrolytes. You're rehydrating with water all the time, um, but definitely post-workout. Make sure you, if you're running, um, to have something to eat within 30 minutes of finishing your run. Make sure that Post any workout within an hour or two hours, you're having a well-balanced meal with all your macros, carbs, fat, and protein. You also want to make sure that you're getting enough sleep every night. The recommended is seven to nine hours. Also, make sure that you are stretching, foam rolling, um, and massages are great for recovery. Also, baths, ice baths, Epsom salt baths, or the contrast therapy. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that's all... I went over. Um, if any of you guys have some other recommendations, feel free to comment it on our Instagram. Message us if you want us to talk about something more specific. Uh, please let me know. Hopefully, like I said, these things were helpful to you. But I know we've been ending our episodes with a little game. So this week, um, I just wanted to share some weird recovery practices that you might want to try. So the first one is called a TENS unit. This stands for, and bear with me, transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation unit. So this is a handheld machine and they have electrodes that you put maybe on your knee or your back, your shoulder, wherever there's pain. And you turn it on and there's a low electric current and it's supposed to mimic the nervous system and helps reduce muscle pain. So they say that this provides short-term pain relief. Um, it improves local circulation, uh, local circulation. So wherever you're putting those electrodes, like around your knee, like I said, or your shoulder, it reduces muscle spasms and help your body produce its own painkillers, otherwise known as endorphins. I actually have one of these in my room. My dad gave it to me a few months ago. It was my grandma's, I think, for whatever pain she was having. But I've never actually used it, but maybe I should. But this next one is one that I really, really want to do. And this is called a float tank. I actually heard about these a few years ago. A girl I know told me that she went to one in Philly and said it was just an amazing experience. Her and her sister went. It was like one of their birthday gifts to each other. And so... Float tanks are also known as separate uh, – I am bad with words today – sensory deprivation tank, and it's basically just a big bath of water, and it's saturated with magnesium, and the magnesium allows you to be just completely buoyant, so you legit are just floating in a tank for like an hour, and they say that 
when you're in the tank, it just eliminates all external stimuli and it allows your body to go in its natural restorative state. So benefits to this are similar to when you do yoga or meditation. It allows you to reduce stress. And as I mentioned earlier, the magnesium helps with reducing muscle soreness and inflammation. Um, and these also are said to be really helpful in reducing stress and anxiety. So there's a lot of different places around. If you just look up float sensory deprivation near me, um, there's probably a lot of places by you. I know I looked it up. There's a bunch in New Jersey and New York and Philly. So that's my area. So I know, but feel free to look it up. I think it's a really cool thing and maybe Carly and I will try it out. Um, Another recovery method, um, and we've actually talked about this previously, and that's cupping. So it's actually an ancient Chinese medical practice. And so what they actually do, I don't know that we've ever explained it, is they use small suction cups to bring blood to the skin, and it's supposed to help um, reduce any pain in those areas and improve your circulation. So I know it's pretty common among athletes. The first time I'd heard about it was in 2016 at the Rio Olympics. Michael Phelps like had all these what looked like bruises on his back and it was then explained that it was from cupping. So I know I told you guys my horror story, but I know that a lot of people like it. So, you know, up to your discretion if you want to try it. Another one that we've mentioned is cryotherapy, which is cold therapy. So if you want to try something perhaps a little fancier than an ice bath, you can try cryotherapy. What you do is you basically stand up in this tank. It goes up to your neck. So like just your head is out and all around your body is this liquid nitrogen that's supposedly negative around negative 120 degrees Celsius. Um, but the point of it is to reduce inflammation, improve circulation, and they even say that it helps speed up your metabolism. I assume that's just because of the cold. When you're in a colder climate, your body naturally works harder to burn calories. And so even when you run outside in the winter, it's going to speed up your metabolism because you're just working harder But um, to warm up your body. But it also says it helps you recover faster, reduce muscle soreness, increase your energy levels, and it actually can help improve your quality of sleep. So if you struggle with sleep, try cryotherapy. But just a warning, they do say that if you have diabetes or certain nerve conditions, to um, talk to your doctor about it first. So if you have any issues or, or you think you might have an issue with cryotherapy, just talk to your doctor. The last one that I want to talk about, it's become increasingly popular recently, and that's IVs. So I know the one that I've heard of is liquid IV. That's a popular one. But apparently there's IV lounges like all around, probably like LA um, and New York. I know has some too. I've seen people on fitness people on Instagram just posting themselves hooked up to an IV. And basically it's just hydrating your body through an IV with different fluids, vitamins and nutrients. I've never done this before, but I was talking to my friend Devin about it the other day because we were planning her bachelorette and she was like, maybe we should think about doing one of those IV things. I know she was telling, saying that liquid IV actually sells, um, like, I don't even know what to call them. Just something to like put in your water. Like it just dilutes in water and that apparently helps too. And it's not like the legit IV in your arm. It's just like a powder that you put in your drink. So maybe I'll be trying that soon, but yeah. People love the liquid IV stuff. Apparently, it's really great for hangovers. So, I mean, that's obviously why my friend wants it for a bachelorette party, and I'm not opposed, but it can be really good post-recovery too. So those are just some fun, you know, different workout uh, recovery remedies that maybe you want to try. And I just want to thank you guys again for listening. I know this was a little bit of a shorter episode, but um, maybe you guys like that. If you have any 
questions about anything or any comments, please let us know. You can follow us on Instagram at Love Myself Podcast. Our website is lovemyselfpodcast.com. We're on Twitter, Love Myself Pod. And yeah, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We would really, 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 really appreciate it. Tell your friends, your family, your coworkers about this podcast because I love you guys and I just want to build this community. And yeah, hope everyone has an awesome, awesome week. Thanks again. 